New Hope Band. Now, last week I preached on the Ten Commandments, but we didn't get very far. I think we only made it through the first three, actually. Uh, now, remember that the Ten Commandments, they mean a whole lot more than what we think. A lot too many times, really, to our own shame, we just give them a cursory look, and, and they're worth so much more, a closer look. So that's what we started last week, and with the Lord's permission, would like to kind of continue where we left off, because I believe looking at these Ten Commandments, we can, we can get a, a closer understanding of, of who God is. Now, remember, as we continue on, you know, I don't want to spend too much time reflecting on last week, but just a couple of things. We have to remember that the Ten Commandments came from God, amen, not man. Spent a lot of time establishing that fact that they came from God. If you remember that Exodus chapter 20 verse 1 says, and God spoke all these words. It wasn't a man. They did not come from mankind. They were given to us from above, to us here below, and therefore... They are absolute and they are settled. They're, they're not the Ten Suggestions. They are the Ten Commandments from God to us. Now, remember, God starts out these Ten Statements. Remember, in Hebrews, they're actually called the Ten Statements. He, he starts out these Ten Statements by making that very important statement where he says, I am the Lord thy God that brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Remember, that's, that's God's thoughts and feelings on slavery. He, he, he wants to break bondage. He wants to break the chains of slavery for humanity. It, it's God's statement against slavery. It's his blueprint to freedom. And it's his, he's going to give us this highest standard of living that we can all live by in the following commandments that he's going to list out. So, Brothers and sisters, I, I meant to say this last week and kind of forgot, but it's actually God is the world's first, makes the world's first ever emancipation proclamation. It was not Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was just following God's example with his emancipation proclamation. It is God that sets men free. Now, God goes on to list these Ten Commandments. I've been excited about this all week, by the way. I, I hope you get excited over the scriptures as well. If you're saved, you should be excited over this stuff. But God goes on to list this Ten Commandments, and he's showing humanity the pathway to true freedom and the way to stay free, okay? Now, remember this too, because a lot of people have the wrong concept of freedom. People think freedom means doing whatever you want, whenever you want. That, that's not what freedom at all. Freedom is actually it's the ability to do what is right. That's what freedom is. Now, we left off after those first three commandments. Remember, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make any graven images. And then the third one, thou shalt not bear or carry the Lord thy God's name in vain. Those were our first three. But before we pick back up with our Ten Commandments, I want to read a quote from Matthew Henry. I actually read this uh, to our Sunday night crowd, but I wanted to read it again because it's, it's, it's the mindset that I want all of you to have this morning. And Matthew Henry says this. He says, laws are as the lawmakers are. So as we go over the rest of these commandments, see if you can start to get a picture 
of God's heart when you look at these Ten Commandments. See if it begins to develop in your mind. What do these laws, what do these commandments say about the one who wrote them? Because laws are as the lawmakers are. Okay, and these Ten Commandments, they came out of God. They came from God. So see if you can conclude that his laws are good and they're, from the good, they're for the good of mankind. The Ten Commandments, listen, they reveal God's nature to us and you will see that it is good because he is good. The Ten Commandments are good because they come from someone that is good. Okay, so we're in Exodus chapter 20. Remember those first three commandments, have no other gods before me, no graven images, and do not carry or bear the Lord thy God's name in vain. And that brings us to the fourth commandment. Now, this is another misunderstood commandment. A lot of these, we, we just have a common misconception about, okay? And we just kind of get it wrong. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Funny how simple they seem. It seems pretty cut and dry to me. But I think we get off on this one just a little bit. What's it, what's it really mean? Does it mean that you know, we're, we're not allowed to work on Saturday or we're not allowed to work on Sunday? Does it mean, well, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy? Well, that means i got to go to church on Sunday. Does it mean, well, that means i got to take a nap Sunday after church. You know, i got to remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. What does it even mean? If you notice... If you look at all the Ten Commandments, this little commandment here, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, it has one of the longest explanations out of all the Ten Commandments. There's other commandments that say, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. But this one, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, comes with this big, long explanation to help clearly explain what God is trying to say, why he added this to his list of Ten Commandments. And we'll read them, Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. Here's the, the explanation of that, uh, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Verse 9 says, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So we have this big, long explanation of what, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, it, what it, that means. It, it is Almighty God setting the example of what a work week should look for us, it, what it should look like for us. God, have you ever thought of this? God could have easily created the whole universe, the cosmos, the planets, the solar system. He could have easily just snapped his fingers and said, let it be. And it would have instantly popped out of nothingness into something. Instantly. He didn't need to take six days. But if you notice, he takes a day and he does this. Takes the next day, does this. And he finishes up with the, the crowning creation of mankind on the sixth day. And then the seventh, he rests. He was being an example. He was saying, I want your work week to look like this. Mold it after this. God was being an example to us in the seventh day creation. And he's saying, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. He modeled the example of what a week should look like for us. Funny how many atheists there are and non-believers and people that hate the Bible, but they all live by the seven day work week. Do you know that? 
it's, it's after the example that God gave us. We've been doing this for eons. And it's because God gave us an example of what a work week should look like. You know what he's saying? He's saying, uh, do all your stuff in six days and then rest on the Sabbath. Now, let me tell you what the Sabbath does not mean. The Sabbath does not mean Saturday. Sabbath does not mean Sunday. Sabbath does not mean the seventh day. Do you know what Sabbath actually means in Hebrew? It means intermission. It means break to rest. So God is telling us, take a break from your labors. Take a break from them. Do you really think that when God spent those six days creating the world that he was all tired and worn out and he needed to rest? No, he's setting an example for us. He is creating this pattern for us to follow. And through the fourth commandment, God is saying, I want you, I designed you to take a break, take a rest, take a Sabbath. You are commanded to take an intermission from your work. Now remember, this is not a suggestion. It's not. We are to work hard for the glory of God in our labors, but then we are commanded to take a break from it. Take a Sabbath, he is saying. Do you know what this means? It, it's funny because you think, why? why is, what's, what's he telling us to take a break for? Why can't we just keep right on working? Why? Why the break? What does that mean, God? If, if you think about it, God is trying to say, you are not identified solely by your work. He, he's actually humanizing us. He, he's giving us a human element. It's saying that God, he, it means that God is elevating us above our work. You are not designed to work, 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 and then go jump in a casket. No, he's saying you're humans. He's adding a human element to us. He's saying, I designed you to work, but then I want you to take a break from that work because you're not identified solely by what you do. You are to take a work or take a break, and you are not. Not labeled by all what you do. You are commanded to take an intermission from your work. Do you see what God is doing? He's humanizing us. He's saying you are not an autonomous machine. He's saying you are not a robot. You are a human being. You are a person. Take a break and rest. Reset, re-energize, relax. However, he's saying you need this. I made you to need this. And we need it, brothers and sisters. We can run a machine nonstop until it breaks, throw it out, and get a new one. But not so with a person. They're not robots. God didn't make robots. He created people. He created human beings. He created humanity. And he designed us to take a break. You need to take a break. Can anyone say amen to that? I can. I like taking breaks. Now, there are two extremes here. There are two extremes here. Some of us err on the side of being workaholics. Mm-hmm. And you need to take this commandment seriously. You know, in the explanation of this commandment, it says that God hallowed it. That, that means he separated it. He sanctified it. He said, wait a minute, there's six days that you can do all your stuff, and then there's one day that I'm separating to be different than all those other six days. And you need to observe it. Take a rest from your labors. Step away from your labors. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But then some of us err on the slothful side. We like to take whole lots of breaks, all kinds of breaks. Now, I'm not going to get into that. That's a subject for a different day. I actually have been wanting to preach about slothfulness a long time because you don't hear 
many pulpits preaching about slothfulness, but take some time and poke around in your Bible a little bit and see what it says about a slothful lifestyle. The Bible's not very fond of sloth. There's two, two extremes, though. And God says, here, let me give you an example. Six days do all your stuff and then take an intermission. Take a break. Okay? Now, we're not even done with this one yet. Look back at verse 10, how it says, Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant. God is saying, your whole family, all of you all, take an intermission. All of you, everyone in your household, take a break. Have yourself a family dinner. Have some friends over. Go take a walk. Take a nap. Take a drive. However you want to relax, he's saying, I am telling you, take one day and detach yourself from your work. Rest up however you want, brothers and sisters. It's your day. Take an intermission. Take a break time. And then get back at it the next day. And work hard for the Lord. Do you see, brothers and sisters, by God saying, you, your sons, your daughters, your manservant, your maidservant, he's saying, all of you need to take this. It is applicable to everyone, even the manservant and the maidservant. Despite your socioeconomic status, whether you are the boss or you are the worker, take a Sabbath. Whether you are employer or employee, take a break, take an intermission. We all get one. Whether you're on top of the totem pole or down here at the totem pole, we all get a break. It's applicable to all of us. Do you see here, brothers and sisters, that God, he's actually saying you're humans. You're not machines. He didn't design you to work, 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 then die. He designed you to work and then take a day and enjoy it. And he's saying model the way you live. Model your work week like this. He's, an, he's being an example to us. He's, if you think about it even further, he's affording us dignity because he's, he's adding a human element to who we are. He's giving us humanity. If you even look at this commandment, it's actually applicable to animals because it says even your cattle. We could even conclude that, that God is the first ever to give minimal rights even to animals. They are living creatures and God wants them to have a break too. You see how caring his nature is. He cares about us. He says, I don't want all my living creatures, especially people, I don't want you to work yourself right into the grave. I want you to work and then take that break because it's needed. You're designed to need it. Man, there's nothing more blessed than a Sabbath, isn't there? Brothers and sisters, that's what remembering the Sabbath and keep it holy means. Take an intermission. Take a break. That is a commandment. Remember, these aren't suggestions. Ain't the, this isn't the ten suggestions. It's the ten commandments, the ten statements. God makes a statement. You are a human being. You need a break. One day a week, detach from it. One day a week, turn your phone off. One day a week, turn your computer off. Whatever it is that you do, turn it off for one day. Detach from it, and it will do you wonders. Now that brings us to verse 12, the fifth commandment. Honor thy father and thy mother. Brothers and sisters, this is a big deal. This is real, real important. Not only because this one has a kind of a warning that comes with it, but even more than that, it has some huge implications. Honor thy father and thy mother has a far-reaching impact on more than just father and mother. Way, way bigger impact 
it, and the warning says this. It says, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. So that is a warning. You honor your father and honor your mother so that you can live a nice, long, healthy life. It's a warning that comes with this. This commandment, brothers and sisters, has very, very deep meaning. Very deep meaning. It is God's way of introducing authoritative figures to us. You understand that? It teaches us authority. It teaches us respect. And notice, brothers and sisters, who it teaches us authority to. Dad and mom. That's who it is. God is delineating father and mother as authorities to be honored, to be esteemed, to be respected. Honor your father and your mother. Notice that the commandment does not say honor the king and the queen. It does not say to honor the president or the governor. It does not say to honor your supervisor or your manager. It says to honor dad and mom. This is the starting place to learning respect for authoritative figures. If the children can learn to honor mom and dad at home, you'll have learned the basic principle of respecting authoritative figures for the rest of your life or when you go outside of the home. Honor your father and your mother. It starts in the home and God is intelligent enough to know this. That's where it starts. This commandment, it teaches submission. It teaches accountability to authority. Which is very good for humanity. Very good for people. And notice it starts in the home. It does not start with the state. It does not start in the school. It does not even start in the church. It does not. It starts in the home. It begins in the home. This lesson can only be learned in the home. Now schools can try. The church we try here. We got your kids back there. We try to teach them these things. But the commandment is honor your father and your mother. God is saying this stuff starts in the home. Do you know what happens, brothers and sisters, if everyone obeys this commandment? You have a flourishing, prosperous, good society. Because everyone has learned respect for authoritative figures. And then when these young kids and grow up and they leave the home, they'll have learned that basic concept, I have to respect people that have authority over me. Even if I disagree with them, I still must respect them as an authoritative figure. But do you know what happens, brothers and sisters, if people disobey this commandment, if this fifth commandment is neglected, you end up with a violent, divided angry society sort of like the one we have today in many places in our nation if you do not teach to honor your father and mother you lose common decency you lose civility because no one respects anyone no one respects authority we don't respect each other and this boils over from the home if it's not learned in the home then these kids grow up and go out into the world and they haven't learned they haven't learned to respect one another because this fifth commandment has been forsaken. Now, notice there's really no clauses to this commandment. Well, man, I had a drunk for a dad. Honor them. Still honor them. The, the Bible doesn't say honor your father and your mother unless they were a drunk. You, you honor them. But what if your parents didn't love you like they should have? You honor them. 
What if they weren't able to afford all the good stuff that you needed when you were young and growing up and you didn't look like all the other kids? Honor them. You honor them. It is cut and dry. You have to honor them. Honor means esteem. You, you show respect to them. Because they are authoritative figures. They are mom and dad. You must honor them. Another aspect about this commandment that we don't much think about. I am a grown man, and this commandment is still applicable to me. It is. I, I've moved out long ago, but it's still applicable to me. And you also, if you're, this is my little uh, catchphrase for the day. If your parents are still alive, the fifth commandment still applies. That's my quote of the day. If your parents are still on this planet, whether you disagree with them, whether you don't like them, whether you didn't get along, whether you didn't get the upbringing you thought you should have had, honor your mother and your father. Honor them. No clauses to this. I don't live with my mom and dad anymore, but I am still to honor them. Just maybe. You ever thought of this? Just maybe if we honor our parents, even if we've long left home, maybe our kids will see it and they will honor us. Do you see how these things are passed on generation to generation to generation through being an example? It goes right on down the line. And do you see, brothers and sisters, how this builds a better nation? This builds a better society. This builds better neighborhoods and communities. Because you at home teach your children these things. You pass them on to your children. Children learn honor and respect at home. And then when they leave and they go out, they honor and respect their authoritative figures. And it helps build a better society where we can all get along, where we can all mutually respect each other. This commandment is so important. Don't, don't, don't think for a minute that God said, well, I just need to give them ten things and give them these ten commandments. Let me just whip these ten things up and throw them here. And No, no, no. These are very methodical, well-thought-out commandments from God. We're to honor them. It, it produces people that will respect authority, which in turn produces a more peaceful and prosperous nation. But it's, that's why it's bad news when we start getting rid of and quit pe preaching the word of God. It does not go well. When we have these postmodern worldviews where everything is true, and if it's true for you, it's not for me, but what's true for me is not for you, it becomes a mess. One big giant mess. Now that brings us to verse 13. It's in Exodus 20, the sixth commandment. Now, this one, another one that you would think is real simple, real cut and dry. It kind of is but still needs a closer look. Sixth commandment says, Thou shalt not kill. Now, this is another commandment where a little bit gets lost in translation. Remember, I like to use the King James version of the Bible, but the King James version, what was it, 400 and some years old? And you have to understand that language does change over time. Amen? My kids say stuff to me, words to me that I don't know what it means. It's dumb, whatever it is, but it, I don't know what it means. I mean, it is because language changes over time. What used to mean something might change just a little bit and it means something completely different. 
So this is one of those ones that a more clear translation for thou shalt not kill is thou shalt not murder. Okay, thou shalt not murder. Now this might be tough for some of you more tender-hearted folks to swallow. But hear me now, this is biblical. There is such a thing as justifiable killing. There is. I, I know that can be tough to, to understand, tough to grasp, tough pill to swallow, but there is such a thing, biblically speaking, as justifiable killing. For example, if a person, through the due process of the law, receives capital punishment for committing murder, it would be a justified killing. It is a justified killing. Listen, Genesis chapter 9 makes this establishment. This is after they're coming off uh, the ark, and, and God starts instituting a little bit more law. And he says this in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. He says, Whoso sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. This, this is capital punishment, biblically speaking, under the right circumstances, it is permissible. Okay, there can also be justifiable killing in things such as war. War is not murdering one another. Uh, there can also be justifiable killing in things such as self-defense. But please recognize, brothers and sisters, that the Bible makes allowances for this. Biblically speaking, there is allowance for certain justifiable killings. But the purpose of this commandment, thou shalt not murder, is to state that it is immoral to murder. It is immoral. It is objectively immoral. It is uh, the unlawful killing of a human being is evil. It is sinful. It is wickedness. Now, a lot of people might think, well, that capital punishment thing seems kind of funny to me because if you're saying that this human life is so precious, but yet if someone murders someone else, you're saying that that person's life, who isn't their life precious too, should be taking? Isn't that kind of contradiction? No, 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 it's not. You're looking at it the wrong way. Capital punishment is forfeiting something extremely valuable because you killed someone that was extremely valuable. What it is, is it's this commandment from God that is stressing how valuable people are to God. You're so valuable that if someone murders someone else, their life is forfeit. That's how valuable it is. It is evil. It is objectively evil and wicked to murder. Now, commandment number seven. It's in verse 14. This is another one that has tremendous, tremendous ramifications. You know, let me, let me go back to that sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. I meant to look this, this statistic up. I used to know it, but now I, I forget it. But in this nation, I think currently right now, I hope I don't get this wrong. There are well over, I think, 200 and some thousand unsolved murders right now. And that grows by a pretty big number every year in this nation. God says, thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not murder. People are valuable. Don't murder them. Verse 14, commandment number 7, says this. 
thou shalt not commit adultery. This is another major commandment with huge implications, with huge ramifications. Listen now, God is saying that you are not permitted to have any type of sexual activity with anyone other than your spouse. If you do, it is adultery, and I am saying don't commit adultery. You are not allowed to cheat on your spouse. You are not allowed to swing. You are not allowed to have an open marriage. It is forbidden. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It is objectively wrong and evil to commit adultery, this commandment is saying. Now, I always wonder, why is this so important to God that he made it one of his Ten Commandments? It is because, listen to this, infidelity always harms and damages the family. It always harms and damages the marriage. It harms people. It causes tremendous damage to people. It destroys people. It ruins people. It rips people's heart out. It rips people's heart in half. It is very damaging. Adultery threatens the family unit. What is the family unit? The family unit is the basic building block of society. You don't have a nation if you don't have families. It's a a dad and mom and their children living in the same home. Adultery attacks that. Adultery is war against that. Adultery threatens that and harms that. If you have, listen, if, if you have strong, good families, then you have a strong, healthy nation. If you have broken families that are destroyed and devastated, you end up with an unstable society that's unstable with no stability. Why is that? It's because within the family unit, that's how these, these core values are passed down to the next generation. That's how scruples are taught to our young people from generation to generation. It's taught and passed down in the home, and adultery attacks that. We pass on our values. We pass on our beliefs within our families. We pass on our biblical teachings through our families. Moms and dads, you should be teaching this stuff to your children. We are instructed to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we do so inside of the family unit. That's, that's home base. That's where all these things are passed down and instilled into the younger generation. So the younger generation, when the old generation has gone, they can carry the torch. It happens in the home and adultery threatens that. Adultery attacks that foundation and tries to break it up so that those things aren't passed along to the next generation. Adultery threatens all that. It breaks up the home. Do you know that it is statistically factual that these young boys from from broken homes, they grow up and they're exponentially inclined to more so to become violent and and to be angry and and to to do crime, to become criminals. Statistics are, it shows this, it proves this, because they're angry. Our young girls that grow up in these broken homes, they're statistically, factually more prone to be more promiscuous and lead a more promiscuous lifestyle. Adultery threatens all that. 
ask yourself, what, what does adultery teach within the family unit? It teaches disloyalty. It teaches distrust. It teaches betrayal. It teaches deception. It teaches lust. It teaches covetousness. All of these evil, wicked things. God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. I don't want these children to observe and see these evil, wicked things. You know, I was watching this teaching video about this commandment. And it stated rather harshly, I'll add, that if you commit adultery, you lead a fraudulent lifestyle. It's, it's a lifestyle that is fraudulent. Ultimately, adultery breaks up the marriage. It breaks up the family unit where all these good things are supposed to take place. Moms and dads, you're supposed to be passing this, this knowledge that you've gained, knowledge that you've gleaned. You pass that on to your sons and your daughters. And that's why God says, don't commit adultery. It will stop that. You know, our, our homes are supposed to be the shelter from the storm, like the umbrella that blocks all the rain. And adultery brings that junk inside of your home. The home should protect us from it, and adultery brings it in it. Therefore, God says, thou shalt not commit adultery. It is very harmful, not only to the marriage, not only to the spouse, not only to the individual that commits adultery, but also to the children, and, and ultimately to the entire society or nation. It damages the whole nation. Brothers and sisters, adultery is objectively wrong. Objectively wrong. This is not a suggestion. This is not something God says, let me throw something out on the table and you all discuss it and let me know what you come up with. Remember, these God spoke all these things. God said this, don't commit adultery. It is evil. It is wicked. Don't do it. One of his ten commandments. Now that brings us to verse 15. Commandment number eight. Another very short one that just simply says, thou shalt not steal. Now you would think this one's real nice and simple. Right? Don't take other people's stuff. Amen? Right? Can't we leave it at that? Not so fast, brothers and sisters. Commandment 8. Now, if you take the Ten Commandments, this is pretty neat if you think about it, but the, it says the Ten Commandments were hewn, and they were out of two tablets. You know, God says, Moses, get me two stone tablets, hew them out, and I will write on them. O on one tablet, you have Commandments 1 through 5, and on the next one, you have Commandments 6 through 10. Now this 8th commandment, thou shalt not steal, it actually encompasses all of the commandments on that second tablet, 6 through 10. It encompasses all of them because it is open-ended. Okay, This commandment does not tell us what not to steal, nor does it tell us who to not steal it from. It is completely open-ended. It means that no one at any time can steal anything. 
Most of the other commandments, if you look at those commandments 6 through 10, they're somewhat specific with whom they are talking about. For example, if you say honor your mother and your father, obviously you're talking to children within the family unit, father and mother. If you say don't commit adultery, obviously it's talking to married people, not allowed to cheat on your spouse. If you say don't commit murder, obviously it's saying, hey, person, don't commit murder against another person. If you say don't covet, which we haven't got to that one yet, don't covet other people's stuff. But thou shalt not steal encompasses all of them. It does not give us a whom or a what. So it is a general blanket statement from God for all people that theft of any type is forbidden. Okay? If you think of it. What if you're not allowed to steal anything from anyone. But what if it's a, like a nameless, faceless organization or business? You know, kind of like Walmart. You know, Walmart's not a person. You know, can I swipe something here? Their prices are expensive anyway. Inflation's way up. Can I take something? Because that doesn't harm an actual person. That's more like a business, kind of a nameless, faceless organization. Brothers and sisters, that's why the Eighth Commandment is so abstract. Because it applies to theft of anything from anywhere, from anyone, at any time. If you think about it, if you think about thou shalt not steal, it's actually God again assigning dignity to humanity. He's saying, hey, you can't treat each other this way. You're not allowed to take that person's stuff. That belongs to that person and I don't want you to treat each other this way. You must respect the fact that you can't take somebody else's stuff. We ought not to treat each other this way. It's God again assigning dignity to humanity. You can't steal other people's stuff. You can't steal businesses' stuff. Who here has ever had something stolen from you? Man, probably about all of us. It almost makes you feel violated in some sort of way, doesn't it? I remember when I was young. Now this is kind of stupid now. But when I was young, I had them big giant speakers. You know, you ever heard them young kids drive around? You can hear their music coming from six blocks away. That was me. I understand. Kind of foolish. Now I can't hardly stand that. If I hear someone blaring the radio, I put my windows up and plug my ears. It, it bothers me. But that was me back then. And I spent some pretty good money back then on all my gear and had some nice stuff. And one day after school, I went out and my stuff was stolen. Ah, oh, man, I was sad. I was really broken up. You know, it just makes you feel violated. You know, that's my, my stuff. That's my personal space. I don't want anyone else in my vehicle. That's my space. I own that. I bought that stuff. And someone came and stole it. You know, years later, I ended up finding out who stole it. And their life, this individual that stole it, turned out exactly the way you think a thief's life would turn out. But God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. I didn't need to take vengeance on this person. Their life turned out exactly the way you think a thief would turn out. But it makes you feel violated, doesn't it? Man, I remember I was broken up over my stuff being stolen. Really bummed me out. Feels violated. Thou shalt not steal. You can't take other people's stuff. You know what else? Now, some of you are going to think, where in the world are you getting this from? You know what else the Eighth Commandment does? Now, bear with me for a minute, but it forbids wicked forms of government like socialism and communism and Marxism. 
You might be saying, where in the world are you getting this from thou shalt not steal? You're kind of reaching a little bit, aren't you, brother? With, aren't you, brother? N- no. Thou shalt not steal. By God making that statement. That, that statement, remember, they're called the ten, ta- ten statements. That statement that God makes, thou shalt not steal, is predicated on the idea of a little something called private property. Okay? Remember, again, th- this comes from God. This is not man making this up. These statements come from God. And by him saying, thou shalt not steal, he is establishing ownership of things. He is establishing private property. You're not allowed to take something that belongs to someone else. The Eighth Commandment is predicated upon private property. I'm not allowed to come take something because you own that. It's your property. It's based on that notion. It's based on that idea. That idea comes from God. The idea of private property comes from God. He's establishing the fact that you can't steal because it belongs to someone else. That is how he wants his children to interact with one another. We must recognize the fact that I'm not allowed to take that because someone else owns that. Brothers and sisters, along come people like Karl Marx. Ever heard of Karl Marx? Ever heard of Marxism? Along come people like Karl Marx, and they, they come up with this new idea, a new way to govern. You know, he, he saw some people over here. They were real rich. They had some money. And then he saw some people over here, and they were poor. They didn't have much money. And he thought, that's not fair. And he thought, and he wrote this along with another fella. They wrote this book, and they said, you know how things ought to be. He says, here's how it ought to be. We ought to have a revolt in these people over here that don't have money, that are poor, that are the working class, they ought to take stuff from these rich people. And then all of us can be equal. And then we'll all be happy. And then we'll all get along with one another and we'll all be the same. There'll be no great rich people and there'll be no poor people. We'll all be the same. Brothers and sisters, this is not biblical. Why? You are not allowed to take from one person and give it to another. You cannot. That is called stealing. That is called thou shalt not steal. It does not matter if this guy over here is rich and has millions and this guy over here has zero. You're not allowed to take it from this person and give it to this person. Those forms of government, the socialism, the Marxism, the communism, that's what they do. They take from some people and give to another. You can't do that. That's why God gives us the Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not steal. You aren't allowed to take it from this person and give it to that person. Now, never mind. That that is what these forms of government do. Never mind, historically speaking, the tens of millions of murdered people we have to show for trying to institute these evil types of government. Never mind any of that. But just look at the Ten Commandments. The Eighth Commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Do you know our forefathers recognized this? Do you understand that our forefathers based the, the founding documents of this nation on the Ten Commandments? Do you understand, Do you understand that re- sometime this afternoon after church, Google the Fifth Amendment. Google it. You'll see in there that our forefathers wrote in to the Fifth Amendment a, a, a private property clause. Stating that you can own something. It can be yours. 
Remember, Google that. The Fifth Amendment of the Bill of Rights. Private property is fundamental to this nation. It's fundamental to our forefathers, and they, they recognize the importance of private property, of owning something. And that comes from God, not man. God, you can't steal. Why? Because it belongs to someone else. You know, I, I know these socialism and these, these Marxism and communism, they, they try to appeal to your sense of pity. They try to make you feel bad, but look at these poor people, and then there's these real, real rich people. And that's how they, they, they try to get people to come on board. But you cannot forget the Eighth Commandment. You are not allowed to take from this person who has a lot and give it to this person who has a little. It's called stealing. Even if this guy over here is rich, you're not allowed to take it from one and give to another. Because God establishes private property with the Eighth Commandment. Good old Klaus Schwab is going to have to implement his garbage ideas elsewhere. Anyone ever heard of this Klaus Schwab fella? Look up him. The World Economic Forum garbage that he's trying to institute. It's garbage. It's unbiblical. Now, the Bible does teach generosity. It does. If this man over here is real, real rich... And this person over here is real, real poor. The Bible teaches, hey, you ought to be generous and maybe help this person out a little bit. But you cannot cross the line and take from this guy and give to this guy. No, the Bible teaches generosity. The rich man of his own conviction can give to the poor. This is biblical. It's biblical. Thou shalt not steal. Now, we'll stop there. Uh, I have asked Pastor Joe if he'll give me next week, and we'll, we'll finish up next week. We have two more commandments to go. And then I want you to understand there's a reason and there's a purpose for the Ten Commandments. It's, there's a reason why they're still applicable today, and we'll, we'll get to that next week. But to finish up today, are you starting to get a glimpse of the goodness of God through the Ten Commandments? Are you starting to see how good and wholesome the Ten Commandments are? The Ten Commandments are some pretty serious stuff, amen? Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans. We went over this last week in chapter 7 of our Bible study. Apostle Paul says, The commandment is holy, just, and good. These Ten Commandments that we're going over, they are holy, just, and good. So then going back to our quote from Matthew Henry, who says, Laws are as the lawmakers are. If the Apostle Paul is saying that the commandment is holy, just, and good, what does that say about God, where these laws came from? You know what it says to me? It says to me that God is holy, just, and good. Amen? Uh, if the band would make their way back. Now, we have two more commandments to go over. We'll hit them next week. And then we'll wrap this whole thing up. And I hope that you can see the goodness of God in these commandments. Why he gave us these. You remember this too. These ten commandments, there's no expiration date from them. They're still applicable to us today. If you're a true born-again Christian, 
You ought to be saying, I want to obey these. God, give me the grace to, to enable me to obey these Ten Commandments. We don't look on His commandments as grievous. We should love the Ten Commandments. The psalmist loves the commandments. Paul loves the commandments. The disciples love, the prophets love the commandments of God. We ought to love the commandments of God. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. We'll pray and then we'll worship. And these altars are always open. And then we'll dismiss. Father God, we thank you. We love you. Lord, we thank you for your Ten Commandments, Lord, and for how deep they actually are, Lord. They're so deep, Lord. They have huge, tremendous implications, Lord. They can ruin an entire nation if we wholly neglect them, Father. And though we thank you for how sacred your scriptures are, Lord. We love them. We love your word. And Lord, I pray you bless this last worship song, Lord. Let us draw close to you, Lord, before we go, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We praise your name. Amen and amen. Let's worship, church. You are my shepherd. I have all that I need. You lead me beside the peaceful waters. 